Matthew 4, Matthew 4. I'm uh, going to talk today uh, about um, throwing down the gauntlet against sin. We've been talking about throwing down the gauntlet against a number of things, and so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, mark that as your place, and we're going to be moving around a little bit. We'll go to Matthew 3 and then a number of other passages today, but uh, let me open us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these guys. It's always uh, just a pleasure to uh, come and spend some time with these guys on Tuesday mornings, enjoy and laugh a little bit, and, uh, talk about guy things, and at the same time, God, know we're going to dive into your word and challenge uh, ourselves from your word and what we glean from your word and what we understand in your word. And so, God, I pray for every man in this room as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, certainly a uh, Something that we all struggle with, uh, the temptations of life and the temptations of Satan. Uh, Satan oftentimes has our number and knows exactly where, uh, where to go after us. And so, God, as we, um, as we think about our own lives and we examine our own lives, let us look to uh, an example by your son uh, as to how we deal with uh, temptations uh, that certainly do and will come our way. And so, Father, we uh, ask for your word just to uh, enliven itself and um, in our heart and uh, that you would just inspire us and illuminate our minds uh, to see what you want us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the, um, the idea of temptations and dealing with temptations is something we all deal with. Uh, I can go back, and I've shared this story in here a time or two. Uh, I can remember my first semester after I surrendered the ministry. Um, I had a real, real old professor uh, named Dr. Sumner Wimp. And uh, he was teaching us church evangelism. And uh, he was having a conversation with us guys, us young preacher boys. That's what he called us, young preacher boys. And he, he was just kind of giving us some practical ideas on ministry. It wasn't part of the lesson that, because we were, we were doing church evangelism. Uh, but uh, Sumner always was one of these guys that still from the old days wore a suit to class every day with a tie, with a little hanky that was stuck in his pocket that matched his tie. That was Sumner and had two big old, uh, big old hearing aids. And so he had a tendency to talk real loud in class. And uh, somehow he got to talking about, you know, men in ministry and men who are going to stay in ministry and some things that you need to do and be careful of. One of the things he talked about is dealing with temptation. And he was talking about dealing, uh, you know, if you're ever counseling with a lady, some practical advice and some of those kind of things. And um, he says, guys, I know you're thinking, you're looking at me thinking there's going to come a day when I'll no longer deal with temptations in life and lust won't ever be a problem. And he goes, now look at me. And he goes, let me just tell you, boys, he goes, you can destroy your ministry at my age. He says, as long as there is red blood flowing through these veins, we are open for temptation. And don't ever think you're above it and too big for it. And I still to this day remember that because I was thinking when I get to your age, I won't have to deal with temptation. And he just kind of set us straight right there. And so, guys, uh, temptations may change, but we're always going to deal with them. And your, te your temptations may change. They may be different. They may be the same ones you struggled with back in your teens and your 20s. Uh, over, the, over the generations or over the deca decades, uh, your temptation might be different. It might move from, you know, some uh, addictive substance to an addictive person, from an addictive person maybe to an addictive emotion or attitude. But there's always times when Satan is always going to show up in our lives and he's going to lay something before us that, that if we bite... Uh, that we could destroy our marriage, our, our career, our, our lives, our characters. And so I want to really hopefully give us some key ideas from Scripture 
And if you're dealing with a temptation or if you know one that you struggle with or if you're currently and no one knows about it, if, if you're losing uh, a battle from time to time to a certain temptation that you wish you could get on, get, get beyond, I, I, I hope that today's message uh, will help us out. Uh, here was a quote that I ran across. It's steadfastness is believing, um, uh, is believing uh, that I can get through temptation even in the midst of temptation. A lot of times we pray that the temptations will no longer show up. But the reality of it is to, be, to persevere in our faith and to be steadfast in our faith, it means we move beyond it. Uh, I ran across this week. They couldn't pull it up. I tried to get them to pull it up. It was a Calvin and Hobbes, and it's uh, Calvin and Hobbes sitting there. And, and, and one of, which one's the tiger? That's Hobbes. All right, Calvin's the boy. All right. He says, do you believe in uh, evil? Or do you believe in the devil? And he goes, well, yeah, you know I believe in the devil. He says, uh, I mean, that evil being uh, who uh, tempts us and corrupts mankind. And then, um, then Hobbes turned around and he says, I'm not sure man needs help destroying themselves. <laughs> and that's kind of the idea that, you know, Satan doesn't have to tempt many of us very often. And uh, we're pretty good at destroying ourselves. We're pretty good at destroying ourselves. I heard, remember another quote. I can't even remember where I found it one time. It was like, uh, and it's back to what Shane talked about, is that Satan, uh, uh, Satan offered Adam and Eve you know, a piece of fruit, and they lost paradise. And the point was, hey, don't focus on the temptation, what you're going to get. Focus on what you would lose. And so as we think about this idea of temptation today, I really want to look at the passage where Jesus uh, was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. And so let me just go down, let me, let, me kind of, let me kind of read the first part of Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter came to him, Satan came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, as we think about that temptation, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, one sets it in context. Um, one is, even after seasons of great spiritual growth, even after spiritual mountaintop experiences, that perhaps is some time that you are prone to your greatest temptation. We can think of uh, people that uh, had amazing successes, and then right after that, they just blew up. If you think, if you read the story that uh, they updated on Robert Kraft, uh, one of the times they had him filmed going into that was the night that they won the, NFC, the AFC Championship. I don't know if you read that story. They had just beat Kansas City, and all of a sudden he's down in Florida uh, messing up. But if you go right before this, look at, look at Jesus. Go back to Matthew chapter 3, a chapter before it. Um, after Jesus made his major public declaration to be baptized in Matthew chapter 3, his baptism, uh, then it's the very next verse in the very next chapter. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 7. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Then Jesus replied in verse 15, Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then John consented. As, um, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up to the mountain. And at that very moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, if you think right before these temptations, Jesus made a major public spiritual declaration. He was baptized uh, there in the Jordan. And you, you and I can find the same thing, that there can be mountaintop experiences, whether it's on our men's ski trip or you go to a mission trip or you go do something else and God really speaks to you and moves in your life. And very next thing you know is you are tempted in the very area of your weakness. And that's exactly what Jesus found out. So I want to encourage you, if you have made great strides and great leaps, and just in the last couple of weeks I've had the opportunity to talk to a couple of you guys that are, are really fired up more than you've ever been uh, about Christ and about walking with Him and serving His church. But I want you to know, just because you do that doesn't necessarily mean the temptation is going to go away. Satan's still going to show up. Satan still will show up in your area of weakness, in your area of difficulty, in your area of hardship. And so uh, that's the first thing. Temptations often come immediately following a spiritual high. Second thing, if you look just at the context and the setting, is temptations often come when we find ourselves in the wilderness, when we find ourselves alone. And if you look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And if you think about that setting, first of all, Jesus had been in the public. He'd been with people. Then all of a sudden, now he's out in the wilderness and he's hungry. And Satan shows up and, tempt, and tempts him. And so that's what I want to encourage with you guys, you guys with is, man, whatever you do, don't separate yourself from God's people. Don't separate yourself from God's church. Don't separate yourself from uh, other men who you can walk with. Because when we isolate ourselves and get alone, I'm sure it's the same in your life as it is in mine, that's when I'm most likely be tempted. When I am uh, left to my own desires and my own thoughts and my own mindsets, and that's where we have to be careful. We always have to stay engaged and stay connected with God's people and stay connected with other men. And so after a spiritual high, or when you're alone and when you're isolated or when you're physically worn out or when you're spiritually worn out or you're emotionally worn out, that's when Satan is going to show up. And so as we talk through this process today, um, every one of us in here probably has at least one area that we struggle with. Uh, yours might be alcohol. Someone else might be pornography. Someone else might be anger and bitterness. Someone else, it might be gambling. Someone else, it might be some other type of relationship or some other struggle or some other addiction that you have. Uh, my guess is there are a lot of similarities in temptations here, but there's also a lot of differences. A lot of guys in this room are tempted by the very same thing that many other guys in this room are tempted by. There might be... Um, there might be another guy in this room that you're tempted by something that's a different shade of gray than anybody else in this room. And so the reality of it is we're all tempted in some way, somehow, someplace, in some space. Now, a lot of times what we have, a do, we have a tendency to do is uh, identify someone else's sin and someone else's struggle as worse than my struggle. Don't we? Don't we? I mean, somebody else does this, and I'm like, well, I know I've got my things, but they're not that bad. And the reality of it is sin is sin is sin. 
Sin is sin is sin. And so as we come to this passage and we look at what Jesus goes through here and how he deals with it, whatever you are struggling with, I just want to take it and I want, you, want to invite you to work in your own mind. You don't have to confess it to everybody. How you're going to deal with that temptation. And I say that temptation because I do think most of us have one or two things that really are the same things that trip us up over and over and over again. And so let's jump in. Let me give you a couple of thoughts as we work through. How do we deal with temptations in our life? How do we throw down the gauntlet? Um, Jesus was tempted by three things, and all everything you and I are tempted with will fall into one of these three categories. In one of these three categories, now he's tempted right here with all three. The first category, if you want to write it down, uh, the first category is uh, that Jesus was tempted in the area of the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. That's just the desires of our life. If you pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was hungry. He's isolated himself. He's out in the desert. Uh, he's been fasting, so he is ready to eat something, right? He's ready to get something to eat. And so the first temptation that Satan shows up with him about is, um, is to give him some food, man. Create some food. Make some food. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. There it was. There's the flesh. The flesh beginning to yearn for something, what Jesus was yearning for is some food. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And so what did the devil come to him? He says, hey, you're hungry? Listen, if you're hungry, just take, tell the stones. You're, you're God's son. Tell the stones to turn into bread and you'll be filled. And Jesus answered, notice what Jesus answered. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, if you want to write this down as a note out there, basically Jesus is taking the temptations and he's responding to Satan with the word of God. The response that he gave him comes straight out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So Satan came to him and said, listen, if you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, listen, God's word says man doesn't live by bread alone. In other words, we are never going to live just by feeding our flesh. The second area he tempts him in, notice, is the pride of life. Um, we all have ego. We all have those things that, uh, that we like to shine on. And that's exactly where Satan goes and uh, attacks him. Notice what it says. Pick it up in verse, verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Then notice what Satan does. Satan quotes Scripture to Jesus, all right? Don't ever think that Satan doesn't know Scripture. Satan knows it. So if you look, for it is written, Satan says, it's quoting Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, Satan says, it, it, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, and Jesus responds again with Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. So what happens? Jesus responds to both temptations by quoting Scripture. And that's going to lead us to one of the thoughts as how, how do we resist temptation. Then look at the third area, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Pick it up in verse 8. Basically, uh, Satan is talking to Jesus and saying, listen, you know, you're about to go through some horrible things. 
You're going to be delivered to the hands of sinful men. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be sped upon. You're going to be abused. You're going to be nailed to a cross. And he goes, you do all of that just to become the Messiah. He goes, I got a shortcut for you. Satan says, let's don't go through all that. How about this? And so notice what Satan does in verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Look at verse 9. Then Satan said, all this I will give to you if you will simply bow down and worship me. So what, what is Satan doing? Saying, listen, you don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to, you don't have to go through everything. You don't have to die. How about this? I will give you all of this, all the world, everything in it, all the kingdoms. And by the way, if you go look at Ephesians, uh, he is the ruler of the prince of the power of the earth in this world. All right? And so Satan says, I'll give you all of this. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Then Jesus responds. Notice what he says. He responds, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then Satan, or the devil, left, and the angels came and attended to, J to Jesus. So if you think about those three things, man, the lust of the flesh, pride of the eyes, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. That's how Satan will always come and tempt you and tempt me in one of those three areas. What's your biggest struggle? Which one is it? that Satan continually goes after you about? Is it God, he shows you something and you want it? Have you uh, gotten yourself in financial difficulty over the years because as soon as you see something you want, you want to buy it, and then all of a sudden it's in a downward cycle, it's a difficult thing? Is it something that, that your flesh longs for? that you have a particularly addictive nature when it comes to alcohol or it comes to food or it comes to some other thing? Is it, is it you want to be praised? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? What is the area that Satan tempts you the most in? Is there a specific area? Is there a struggle? My guess is every guy in here, if you're real honest with yourself, there is an area in your life that when you trip up, it's a pretty narrow lane. It's a pretty narrow lane where you go down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or you can, you can circle all of the above. Yeah, or you can circle all of the above. And, and that is a reality for all of us. Now, a lot of people say, well, if Jesus was God's son, why did, tempt, why did Satan tempt him? Somebody answer that question. He was still 100% human, right? Now, this brings us to a fun uh, topic. Can God sin? I'm glad one dude in here knows the answer to that question. No. All right. Could Jesus have sinned here? So, could Jesus have sinned? How many of you think no? How many of you think yes? Huh? In his what? In his humanness, in his humanity. All right, he's fully God and fully man. 
There's a theological term that people have battled about forever called the impeccability of Christ. All right? That says, could he have sinned? We all know he didn't, right? Could he have sinned? Those who believe he could not have sinned, you are called, you, you aspire to, you believe that Jesus was impeccable. Those who believe he could have sinned, there are a lot of people that lean that way. You believe that he is peccable. He didn't sin, but he could have. The impeccableist says not only did he not sin, but he couldn't sin. Why would they say? Well, because he had his full deity, full humanity wrapped in one body. All right? Now, for those who say this, you touched another point. Can God die? I thought you just said Jesus died. So you're no longer a fan of Jesus' deity. <laughs> so those, those again, raise your hand that said that, said that uh, Jesus could not have sinned. You're impeccable. Now all of a sudden there's a few less hands. So you don't believe that God can sin, but you do believe that God can die. Okay, no, he said that. I just quoted him. So you're saying that when Jesus died on the Christ cross, he was no longer God. Is that what you just said, Doug? In his humanity, he was not God. So he was bipolar. He was bi-deity. We're just talking about Jesus now. You just, that's, that's called the art of deflection, Doug. You just deflected from the heretical statement you just made. All right, the, the firemen, you always come to save us. Okay. All right. I'll adjust that here in a second. I think God wanted to create an example. Okay. Create the model. Create a model. The example. What do you got? The first Adam goofed up. The second Adam did. First Adam. We, we well, we know that. <laughs> we know that. Absolutely. Uh, man, Adam made a horrible trade. He traded paradise for a piece of fruit. And uh, all right. So somebody's got something over here. What's that? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Good. What do you got? Go ahead. Right. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, I think you just talked yourself into a hole. Best way to get out of a hole is get a ladder, not a shovel. Um, yeah. Okay, that's where we're going next. All right, so here's the, here's the ultimate question. We're going to Hebrews 2, 15 first. So uh, this is a great question. It's a great debate. I will just tell you, regardless of what side you line up on, whether you believe that Jesus was impeccable, great word, uh, that just means Jesus could not have sinned, all right? Are you a peccabilist? You believe that Jesus could have sinned, but did not, all right? Now, I am an impeccableist. I don't believe that Jesus could have sinned, but it's not based on His humanity. It's based on Old Testament prophecy, that the Old Testament prophets prophesied that Jesus would be a sin, sinless, perfect being when He went to the cross. Those were written hundreds of years before Christ ever showed up. Those prophecies promised us a Lamb of God. Now. It's a difficult question. It's a fun question. It is a question that even the greatest theological minds of all of the history of Christianity ultimately could not settle, okay? Because at the end of the day, if you are going to say Jesus was fully God and fully man, if you say He could have sinned, then you are saying God could have sinned. If you say He couldn't have sinned, uh, then you are saying he was not fully human like you and I, right? And so that's a fun thing to sit around in the seminary uh, uh, classrooms and, and talk about and, and just discuss, and it's all kinds of fun things. But the reality of it is, we know this. In his humanity, and he was fully human, he was fully tempted. Some, some ask the question, well, if he couldn't have sinned, they ask the question, then why did Satan tempt him? Really, the question they're asking is, if he, if he couldn't have sinned, how can he fully empathize or sympathize with you and me in our temptations, right? That's where you jump over. Let me give you a couple of... Uh, um, Jesus' temptations did three things for us and three things for you and me, and I really want us to encourage us with this. Number one, uh, so Jesus could fully sympathize with all of our weaknesses. I believe Jesus was fully tempted. Now, whether he could have sinned or couldn't have sinned has nothing to do with the temptation. If I were to get in a little three-foot uh, rowboat or one of these, uh, one of these floaty, flotation devices with a ball-peen hammer, and I go over to San Diego, and I paddle out to America's, the United States' greatest battleship, and I begin to attack that battleship with all of my fervor and all of my might with a ball-peen hammer. How many of you think I'm going to sink that ship? Does that make my attack any less real? No. It's still a full-on attack, right? I am going after this. So let me tell you what. Satan was going after Jesus with full-on attack. He was fully tempting him. And so the first thing we need to know, one of the reasons I believe God let him out and allowed him to go through the temptation is so he could fully sympathize and empathize with our temptations and our weaknesses. So I absolutely will tell you, I believe that the temptations were real. 
I believe that the emotions and the desires and the wants that Jesus experienced were exactly the same that you did. Because if you look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, let's start there. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity. What is he talking about? We have flesh and blood. We're made of complete humanity. We are temptable and we are sin-filled people. So that, that, so that he fully shared in our humanity so that his death in his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now look at verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made exactly like them or just like them. Notice what he says. Fully human in every way. Jesus was fully God and fully man in every way. He says, in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he, temp when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. In other words, I do believe that Jesus experienced every emotion that you and I experienced when he was tempted. He, man, when he says, listen, all of this can be yours, which of us have not wanted to say all of this could be mine? Which of us have not looked at someone like a Jerry Jones celebrating whatever 30 years or what it was? Uh, would, how many of you would like to have Jerry Jones' money? How many of you would like to have on, on the Cowboys? I mean, I'd love all of that. So that'd be cool. I would love to sit in the owner's box. I, I want to let you know I would. And I would invite some of y'all. And I think it's just cool when Jerry is up there. I remember going to a game one time, and it, it was actually wasn't a Cowboys game. It was a Florida State game. And we ended up sitting right under the owner's box. And he sat up there on that Saturday night, and he was waving at everybody. Saying, I mean, it was like he was the president or he was the queen of England, probably the, the king of England. But, you know, I mean, it was a cool thing. I thought, man, that'd be cool to be in that box just one time, just, just one time. Just one time, I'd love that. We all have experienced that. And so the first reason Jesus was tempted, was tempted is that so he could sympathize with our weaknesses. Every temptation, every emotion that you feel when you are tempted, Jesus felt, I believe, the same exact thing. Now, I don't believe he could have sinned, but because of Old Testament prophecy. But I believe he felt it. The second reason that I believe he was tempted was uh, pretty clear, so that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest. If you... Um, if you look in Hebrews chapter 4, jump two chapters over, verse 14 and following. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Look at verse 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize, depending on your translation, with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. What's the next few words? Yet he did not sin. All right? So I absolutely believe the temptations were real. I believe he experienced every emotion that you and I experienced. I believe he experienced, when it says the lust of the eyes and the pride of life uh, and, and the lust of the flesh, I believe he experienced it just like you and I do. Yet he didn't sin. And that's what makes him a faithful and perfect and sympathetic high priest. Who's the high priest? One's in and goes, goes, makes intercession for you and me 
to God the Father. If you go look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John says, I write these things to you, little children, talking about you and me. He says, that you may not sin. How many of you would agree that is God's desire for our life, that we would not sin? That's it. He says, I write this to you so you wouldn't sin. But then the verse goes, but when you do sin, when you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we know the goal, right? The standard is don't sin, comma, but when we do sin. We have an advocate with the Father. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and you can read those first three verses. It's great. An advocate is the same word that is translated from the Greek lawyer, attorney, all right? Someone who stands in with the Father. And when Satan tries to prosecute us, and Satan gets up there and he gets his flip charts or he gets his video out or he gets the newspaper out and says, this is John Mark. He claims to be one of your children, God. But look at what he's done. One, two, three, four. And God looks at me and said, did you do those? And I go, guilty. And then he says, as the judge, what am I going to do? And that's when Jesus Christ, the righteous, the mediator between me and God, the high priest steps in and says, he is guilty. But it's been paid for. I've taken care of it. Because he died on the cross. And so he's experienced every temptation that you and I felt, every lust, every struggle, every hurt, every yet without sin. I believe Satan went after him because Satan knew what was on the line. I want you to know that Satan has never showed up to me and told, asked me to turn stones into bread. Satan has never showed up to me and offered me the world if I would worship him. Why? First of all, Satan pretty much knows I don't have the ability to make toast out of bread. I certainly can't turn, can't turn stones into bread. So Satan knew that Jesus was different. Satan knew from the beginning that Jesus was God's son. And he knew if I can get him to turn, I can own it all. And so when he showed up, let me tell you what, I believe that the temptations that Jesus, and I, by the way, I don't believe this is the only time that Jesus was tempted. I believe he was probably tempted throughout, uh, throughout his life. You can see in, in Mark and in Luke that there were times that it seemed Satan showed up and tried to tempt him again. But what we do know is that Jesus never sinned. And so the third reason I believe that Jesus was tempted is that, so he could give us an example to follow. He could give us an example to follow. And so you saw the, that I talked to you. How did Jesus respond each and every time? Man, with Scripture on Scripture. So let me just give you a couple of ideas on how can we, these are biblical ideas looking at Jesus, how can you and I resist temptation? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. First, I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. You might want to write this down, and I'll just read it to you. It says, For this reason... When I could stand it no longer, this is Paul talking about the Thessalonian believers. He says, I sent out to find out about your faith. In other words, after he planted the church, he sent some people to go find out about his faith. He says, why? Because I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that your labors might have been in vain. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. So Paul has planted this church. 
And if you read about the Thessalonian church, it's a great church. But after being away, Paul understands, man, I am worried. Man, when I left, they were, just, they were just doing such a great job. They were walking by faith. They were walking. He goes, but I'm worried that Satan has showed up to tempt them. And if they fall into temptation, all of their labors have been in vain. And so the reality is, guys, regardless of how great our church is, we can always be tempted. Why can we always be tempted? Because we are flawed men, right? We are sinful people. And we always want to be careful to make and take the right steps. We always want to protect. Guys, I could before noon today not be your pastor. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? I could, do, I could probably do something before you get home that would cost me your pastorship. And you could do it too. And I love the idea of Paul's concern for the church that regardless of how good and godly your labor is, that you could be tempted by Satan in a moment. And you could fall fray and you could destroy each and everything that is important to you. And we always have to keep that in, the, in our mind. If Paul was worried about that in the New Testament church, how much more do we need to be diligent and worried about it today in our church? Let me give you another passage, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Here's what John said. He said, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. He says, see, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, that brings a problem. How many of you go on sinning? How many of you would like to think you're born of God? This says if you're going to go on sinning, you can't be born of God. All right? So here's the point. There's always a question among guys or people that I hear. They'll, they'll, they'll describe some individual who has walked in sin for a season. Asking for a friend. And asking for a friend. Yes, I'm asking for a friend. And they ask the question, first of all, did they lose their salvation? Or were they saved to begin with? Well, I'll answer the first one. I don't believe they lost their salvation because you can't lose eternal life. If you lose eternal life, it was never eternal to begin with, but that's a different discussion. But here's what I do believe. You really won't know whether they're a believer or not until you watch how long they live in the sin. If they never repent and turn back, they probably were not a believer. If they do... They're probably just like the prodigal son. How many of you remember the story of the prodigal son? Went to his father, said, give me half of my inheritance so I can go spend it. Says, man, he went out there with his friends and his buddies and wasted all the money and all his resources on wild living until he came to the end of himself. Let me ask you a question. Was there ever a time in the prodigal son's life when he is off doing his own thing that he was not the father's son? He was always the father's son. See, his relationship with the father never changed. His friendship and fellowship with the father did change. Does that make sense? 
Anybody ever raise a teenage boy? There have been times that you knew this is my son, but I don't like you right now. Anybody ever feel that? <laughs> That's exactly, they're still your son, right? But your friendship and your fellowship and your conversation might be jaded a bit. It might be staggered a bit. And so here's really what, we don't want to get in the habit of when someone sins, grading whether they're a Christian or not. We want to continue to invite them back. We invite them to a place in the space of repentance. That's what we need to be about. Not saying, are they saved or not saved? Man, invite them back. Repent and come back. So let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, if you and I want to overcome a temptation, number one, and I want you to hear this well, serve God fully. Serve God fully. I'm just going to give you a couple of verses here. Write these down. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. Guys, I think some of the biggest mistakes that we make is when a secret sin seeps into our life that we separate ourselves from God. I want to encourage you, you keep serving God. Man, if that same secret sin shows up again, you keep serving God. Man, get, let me tell you what, the, the, one of the first things you're going to want to do is stop listening to God's Word being preached because the conviction of the Holy Spirit wears you out. So what do we want to do? We want to draw away from it. No, no. Part of the reason you know you're a believer in Christ is if you are convicted by sin. If the Spirit of God shows up, what does it say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16? It says, if we live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the flesh. Man, serve God fully, even in the midst of your temptation. Even if you fail, come back, confess it. Here's number two. Look for your escape. Look for your escape, all right? Whatever you do, look for your escape. Guys, here's a reality, and this is a confession. Every time I slip into my sin, I know there was a way out. There's always a way. There comes a certain point. I may not have caused the temptation to show up, but I said yes, that caused this sin. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Man, guys, there's always a way out. You need to be thinking now about your way out. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now let me give you a couple of thoughts. First of all, you're not that special. There are times that someone will come in my office and say, but Pastor, you don't understand the kind of temptation that I'm under. And I look at them and say, you ain't that special. All right. Your temptation is no different than everybody else. What does he say? No temptation has come to you except that it's common to man. Now, some people happen to be addiction and alcohol and different things like that. Some of it might be pornography. Some of it might be a relationship. Some of it might be gambling. So, but let me tell you what, it's pretty common. It's either the lust of the flesh, it's pride of the eyes, uh, it's pride of life, it's some of those kind of things. They're common. But when you are tempted, God always provides a way out. That's true. Man, if it's tempted to be in an argument beyond belief with your bride or something like that, you can walk away. And I will guarantee you there's never been a time that I've said something to my wife that I regretted saying that I didn't right before that moment 
Ever, anybody ever been there say, you probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> and what do I do? I say it anyway. And then what do I follow that sin with? A second sin. No, that'd be a lie. I say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. That's when I lie. (laughs) Right? Guys, I've said it, and I've known before, because I am pretty quick-witted. And let me tell you what, I am much better at carving my wife up. She's the English major, but I'm the sarcasm major. And she wants to get all poetic on me, and I've already jabbed her about three times. Pop, pop, pop. And guys, there's always a way out. And don't you forget, don't let yourself off the hook and say, I don't have a way of escape. Here's number three. You ready how to deal with your temptation? Look for your escape is number two. Number two, number three is grow in God's Word. Grow in God's Word. How did Jesus respond to every temptation? With the Scripture, with the Scripture, and with the Scripture. Memorize God's Word. If you go look, Ephesians chapter 6, we, won't, we don't have time to deal with here. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the full armor of God. Of the helmet and the breastplate and the shield and the boots and all of those things, what's the only offensive weapon? Sword of the Spirit, which is? The Word of God. It's the Word of God. Boy, and that's what Jesus did. Man, He was fully tempted in every way that you and I were. What did He do? He pulled out the sword. And just stuck it and ran, ran Satan through. You need to memorize Scripture. You need to, I have hidden your word in my heart. Psalm 119, 11, verse, uh, verse 11 says, That I might not sin against you. Are you in a pattern of memorizing Scripture? I hope you do. Here's number four. You ready? Don't let Satan drive a wedge between you and God and God's people. When you sin, Jesus died for that sin. Don't let it separate you from God. Don't let it separate you. from You need to come crawling back to Him. You need to run back to Him. You need to confess your sin. You need to roll back in. Man, because when you separate yourself from God and His church, that's when you are most prone, just like Jesus in the wilderness, to Satan attacking you. What did Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? Satan is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking for what? Someone to devour. Who does the lion go after? Does he go by the big strong stud in the middle of the pack? He goes, but yeah, he goes after the slow one, Doug. I'm thinking he would be right after you, right? No, what is he going to do? He's going to try to carve one of us off. Isn't that what he does, Doug? He tries to carve one off, tries to get them separated from the pack because once he gets them separated from the pack, then he can go after them. He looks for the one that's a little crippled, a little hurt. Boy, it's a beautiful thing if you watch some of those documentaries from time to time, some of those animals that if, that if one of their young Individually, none of them can tear up a lion. But when a lion gets after or maims a little bit of the young, they'll take that young and they'll put it right in the middle, the one that's hurting, the one that's crippled, and they'll all face outward. And they'll just say, listen, you might be able to lick one of us, but you can't lick all of us. 
So guys, I want you to know everyone in this room can be taken out by Satan, including me, if I isolate myself. And so you got to stay in a pack. you got to stay in a group. you got to walk with God's people even after a sin. Here's number five. Do everything you can to cut your temptation off at the start. James, the brother of Jesus, said, Then after desire has conceived itself, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You and I know when the desire begins to show up. Don't wait until it's a full-blown temptation before you try to pull out. You have got to move early, especially in that secret sin. Jesus, He was fully tempted. He knows every temptation you and I will ever go through. He will fully sympathize and empathize, which makes Him a great high priest, yet He did not sin. Satan went after Him, in every way, he'll go out after you. But Jesus didn't sin. Guys, if you've got a massive struggle or a battle, take those few, conduct, few ideas and, man, begin to build up barriers right now so sin doesn't take you out. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these guys. And God, as we talk about throwing down the gauntlet against sin, um, there is a reality that some people's sin is much more public and much more visible than somebody else's. But God, we're all broken men. God, as we talked about Sunday, let us not be men that will take someone else's sin and drag it in front of the world to see. Because there truly is the idea, but for the grace of God, there go I. God, thank you for your son who was fully human, that you allowed him to be fully tempted in every way, but he stood strong, responded to Satan with your word, and he did not sin, which makes him the high priest that completely empathized and sympathized with my weaknesses and still love me and forgive me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a good day. Stay pure.